Welcome. This is Better Edge, a Northwestern Medicine podcast for physicians. I'm Melanie Cole, and it's estimated that 10 to 12% of physicians and nurses develop substance use problems. While there's no direct connection between individuals who work in healthcare and substance abuse issues, there are job-specific factors that can contribute. Joining me today is Dr. Gurav Agarwal. He's an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences and medical education at Northwestern Medicine. Dr. Agarwal, it's a pleasure to have you join us, and we've already mentioned that 10 to 12% of physicians develop substance abuse issues, but the risk can be even higher for physicians in specific specialties. Can you share some of the statistics and why this is the case? Tell us what you're seeing in the trends with physician and substance abuse issues and the sometimes resulting unhealthy ways of dealing with their stress. Yeah, thank you for having me. The physician substance abuse matches a little bit of what the general population is is seeing in terms of the 10 to 12 percent of rates of alcohol use disorders with an additional about 6 to 8 percent of physicians with substance use disorders. What we're seeing is there there seems to be a a bit of a specialty difference, Um, although the data is difficult to collect. What we see is that for alcohol, specialties such as dermatology, orthopedic surgery, and emergency medicine physicians seem to have higher rates of alcohol use disorder, where specialties like neurology and pediatrics tend to have lower rates of alcohol use disorder. What we also see is that different specialties tend to use different substances, and what we think might be responsible for that is different specialties come into contact with different substances more frequently and therefore have greater familiarity with those drugs and probably take away a little bit of their scariness, if you will. So for instance, psychiatrists, anesthesiologists, emergency room doctors, and family practice, solo practitioner doctors tend to have higher rates of substance use than other specialties. One of the reasons we think psychiatrists uh, have higher use of benzodiazepine drugs is because they're often big-time prescribers of benzodiazepines. Similarly, anesthesiologists have higher rates of using opioids uh, because that's a big part of their regular daily practice. What we see with emergency room doctors may be that they tend to use a little bit more cocaine or marijuana is we think that potentially emergency room doctors have higher kind of novelty seeking personalities where they're looking for change and and new things. And that's one of the reasons that attracted them to emergency medicine. Uh, So we may see some of those differences in types of substances they're using uh, related to different specialties. So interesting. What a fascinating topic. What are some of the unique pressures of the healthcare industry? And as you've mentioned, anesthesiologists and, and behavioral psychologists, psychologists and different aspects of the healthcare industry. Tell us how that contributes to substance dependency. What are some of those unique pressures? Sure. I think there's probably two ways to bucket it. One is kind of what do the what do doctors bring to the table? Um, and one of the things that people have looked at is this concept of the compulsive triad in terms of uh, what we select for in our physicians and what's kind of a part of our personality often. And that triad is composed of kind of a higher uh, tendency to self-doubt, an exaggerated or inflated sense of responsibility, and a lot of guilt, frankly. And those three things combined can kind of result in higher perfectionism, kind of pushing through, pushing through things to take care of our patients, even when we may be hurting our own self-care. So what we see is 
uh, we often see physicians with poor sleep, a lot of stress, and then they're self-medicating with these medications. It may have started off as a simple drink at night to help get to sleep or a simple benzodiazepine to help them sleep because they can't kind of turn it down or have been on call several nights in a row. And before you know it, things kind of kind of get out of control. So that's, I think, what the individual physician brings. And then certainly from the healthcare industry uh, and organizations, what we're seeing is um, an increase in physician burnout across the country. And this concept of burnout is certainly generating a lot of attention. And what we, what we have found is that the contributors to burnout and the interventions that help burnout really start with uh, the organizational structure and organizational factors that physicians deal with in terms of the amount of work workload and hours they spend at work, how how intense those hours are. So some people might work eight to ten hours, but there's a lot of it's not always intense. And when you're when you're a physician, you know those hours are really each patient um, is somebody that we are very intensely focused in in on, and that can be uh, that can wear you down after a while is, is when you're dealing with that twenty four seven in that kind of a system. That makes so much sense the way that you laid that out, Doctor Agarwal. What are some of the signs and symptoms of addiction to look for among physicians as as their coworkers or their assistants, people that work with them or even their loved ones know the pressure that they're under. And as you say, they put themselves under this great amount of pressure. What should people be looking for when they're working with these physicians? So I think a couple of things here. One is really highlighting what you what you uh, alluded to is that the people in their home lives, spouses, children, family and friends may notice different things than people at work. Uh, physicians are notoriously able to hold it together at work uh, it, while everything at home may be falling apart or has fallen apart for months or even years in advance. And so that's something that uh, we need to be mindful of and, and encourage the families of our physicians to have better abilities to help talk to their organizations or their physician's partners uh, if they have concerns because they're far more likely to see things changing uh, much earlier than, than people at work. I think number two, I'd encourage people to have their radars up at specific points. Uh, Some of this is anecdotal in terms of the, the physicians I've seen over the years, but what we see is, you know, because physicians are kind of always working at high stress, the tipping point can come pretty suddenly. So what I mean by that is something else, uh, an event in their life that stresses them out can kind of tip them over where they've kind of been able to, to reach this fragile balance. And so what we see a lot um, is that if a physician's child gets sick, uh, if they have the death of a parent, if they've had a horrible outcome at work or have uh, recently been sued, if they've recently changed how they practice, i.e. maybe they've sold their practice to a larger organization and now they've gone from private practice to working for a big institution. These moments are times where things may have been going along steadily and then things get out of out of whack. So in these big change moments in people's lives, I think we need to be doubly acutely aware of, of looking out for things going on. Uh, another one, big, another big, big moment is, is divorce or marital strife and, and after divorce both the stress of the divorce and, and uh, potentially getting back out on the dating scene we have seen, that, that can lead to some issues for a lot of our physicians. And then finally, kind of in terms of signs and symptoms to be looking out for uh, at work especially, is 
physicians always show up. And so if people are not showing up, they're late, they're not calling about being late or not calling about showing up, that's a big red flag that potentially they're hungover or um, they're under the influence. If you're seeing physicians uh, with big time changes in their weight, uh, big time changes in their sleep and irritability, these can be uh, big warning signs. If you're seeing physicians ask you to order them uh, narcotics, if you're seeing them um, lingering in the operating rooms, potentially wanting to throw away things or or help with the trash, things that normally physicians frankly don't do, uh, those would be warning signs that maybe they're looking for the extra extra, uh, opiates, et cetera, that they may have been using for their physicians. If they tend to order more controlled substances than their peers, that can be a, a warning sign that potentially some of those medications are not being used appropriately. And then finally, thinking about how their behavior is at work functions or even family functions. Are they getting out of control more? Uh, Do they have any kind of outbursts or embarrassing moments where they've drank too much at work? That's pretty unusual and and may signal maybe a signal of of a bigger problem. What an amazing list of red flags. Dr. Agarwal, thank you so much for that comprehensive answer. So tell us a little bit about your clinic that specializes in the treatment of impaired professionals. How do you work with healthcare professionals specifically as they may be reluctant to seek help for fear it'll jeopardize their careers? Tell us about some of the treatment programs and resources that you have available. Sure. So there's several ways that people come to our attention. As you mentioned, unfortunately, a lot of the times it's not because the physician says, hey, you know, I think I've got a problem. The ways that people come to our program generally um, are largely through what are called physician health programs. So most states at this point have physician health programs. And they're designed to be able to decrease the punitive nature of seeking help. And the idea is that physicians can call their their physician health program for their state and self-report and ask for uh, services or an evaluation. And these physician health programs can do their own evaluations, but they can also use specialized third-party programs that can do comprehensive evaluations and say, hey, you know, um, is this a substance use problem? Is this a mental health problem? Is this really a sleep problem? What, What is causing some of these issues that you might be having? And all of that can be done without reporting to medical licensing boards, especially if treatment is then sought. Uh, as long as the physician is following the recommendations of the treatment, it doesn't have to be reported to the licensing boards, um, which is a really, really uh, effective way of trying to make sure that uh, we can get people uh, treatment before something bad happens, whether that be uh, something like a DUI or, or, or patient harm. And so when the physician health program uh, then can refer to our clinic and we would do an evaluation. A lot of times these evaluations uh, can be you know, multiple days long involving numerous specialists, uh, people with addiction psychiatry specialty, people with specialty in sexual compulsivity, eating disorders. We do a really comprehensive neuropsychological assessment, psychological assessment to really try to get down to what is going on, what is driving either the issues at work or if the physician reported themselves or their family member uh, asked them for an evaluation, they can really figure out what's going on uh, because my philosophy is that you really can't treat unless you make an appropriate diagnosis. How do you help physicians return to their careers after treatment? Can you, you can't give them any promises, but how do you give them hope and 
encouragement that, yes, they will be able to return? So some of the, the things that we do um, and, and uh, you know, what I want to highlight for the audience is that about 80% of physicians uh, are successful in their treatment and maintaining sobriety. Uh, and that percentage is significantly, significantly higher than the general population. And so physicians, for lots of different reasons, have a, a, a great success rate. Society is invested in our physicians. Corporations have invested in our physicians. And obviously, uh, there is a great um, need for our physicians. And so there are a lot of factors that are working in the physician's favor to get back to work. Um, and a couple of things help us, I think, uh, achieve that really high rate of success. One is uh, our physicians obviously have a lot to lose. If they can't maintain sobriety, you're going to be losing your career. And it's not just a career for most physicians. It's our identity. It's our calling. And so there's a lot of, of motivation to get better. Physicians uh, are able to return to work oftentimes by signing up with the physician health program for generally a five-year contract. And during those five years, the physician's health program will monitor uh, the physician for the use of any substances, whether it be alcohol or controlled substances. And that accountability that monitoring provides physicians is really good in, in terms of helping maintain long-term sobriety. Uh, it's very helpful in organizations trusting that the physician is sober, right, because there's documented evidence that the, the person is maintaining their sobriety, which helps take away some of those, the mistrust that may have developed uh, amongst the employers, et cetera. I think the third thing that is very helpful is generally physicians get treatment or are recommended to get treatment, uh, if at all possible, in treatment centers that uh, specialize in healthcare professionals. And what that does is when they're in when they're in treatment, there's a great deal of shame and guilt that physicians go under. But by seeing colleagues in that treatment center with them going through the same process they are, that helps decrease that shame and guilt. It helps them see the light at the end of the tunnel as some of their peers graduate and return to work, uh, which helps motivate them in those early stages when you're beating yourself up, you're so scared that you may never get to practice again. All of these things help people get through that uh, early phase and, and uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel. What an amazing program as we wrap up. Can you give us some suggestions or examples of how organizations and individuals can create an environment that would support wellness for physicians? It's such a tough job and share some of the efforts that Northwestern Medicine is using that are underway to help their physicians and staff. Yeah, I think we, what we're seeing uh, around the country is a real focus on physician well-being and different different people have used different organizational structures to do this. Some organizations have created um, centers of professional well-being, chief wellness officers in their organizations, etc. But how you do it, I think, matters a little bit less. What you're doing, I think, uh, is important. And, and one of the ways that we can be very systematic about this is to, first of all, make sure that we're measuring physician well-being, right? We, we always measure how many patients we see, how much uh, income we generate, et cetera. This should be another metric that we are measuring is how are our physicians doing from a burnout perspective. And in some ways, for me, more importantly, how are we doing around the drivers of burnout? So figuring out people are burnt out is, is important, but figuring out why is, is more important in terms of actually creating the interventions. 
And so once we measure these things, we then need to be very proactive about addressing these drivers of burnout, things like excessive workload, uh, things like um, work getting in the way of, of, of people's personal lives and their family lives, uh, community, isolation. Uh, when we talk about substance use in physicians, it's harder to harder to miss things if we're connected and we're, we have a community of, of coworkers that can notice those subtle changes that people may be trying to hide or, or notice the stress that someone's under and, and check in on you. And so making sure that we're building a, a community that cares for each other and, and uh, knows each other can be useful. In terms of Northwestern, we've created a physician well-being program, um, and I, I direct that program, and we really have a framework for how we think about helping our physicians in terms of we're trying to care for individual physicians and their individual needs. We're really trying to make the workplace more efficient, and one of the programs that we use for that is called the Scholars of Wellness. And what, we, what it's based on is a faculty development program where we train physicians from all around the campus on how wellness works, uh, what are the factors that um, you need for physician wellness, and how do you make change in your local environments to address some of those drivers of burnout. Uh, because what we've realized is that What's, what might cause burnout in someone like me as a psychiatrist may be very different than what's causing burnout among surgeons. And who better to fix their local environments, the people that live it every day. And so that program's been a great success in creating lots of pilot interventions and dealing with some of those individual drivers that are unique to each of our fields. Um, Plus, we create basically an army of other physicians that are really trained in the vocabulary of dealing with physician wellness who can then do additional, uh, hold additional leadership roles in, in, the prog- uh, in their departments and in the hospital. Wow. What great information and what an excellent, excellent episode. Dr. Agarwal, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your incredible expertise in this very unique position that physicians and healthcare providers find themselves in. And thank you again for discussing that with us today. And that wraps up this episode of Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. To refer your patient or for more information on the latest advances in medicine, please visit our website at nm.org to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Northwestern Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.